It's a pleasure for me to welcome uh, everyone on this occasion. There are always uh, a number of emotions and thoughts that go through our minds on uh, this kind of event, but it is a pleasure and privilege uh, to be able to come here this day. And before I get into uh, any of the aspects of the service, I want to just make one announcement, and that is that the family will greet anyone who wishes, who has not already done so, right here in the front at the conclusion of the service. We're here for three reasons. Number one is to remember the life of Fred Youngblood, a man who was uh, very, very loved in this church, who served this church well as an elder, elder emeritus in this church. So we're here to remember Fred. We're also here to bring solace and comfort to this family this day as they deal with a very difficult uh, situation in their lives. But primarily and essentially, we are here to worship our triune God and bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Before I bring a call to worship from the Psalter, I want to to read the obituary. It's found in your bulletins on the inside cover. Family has put this together and I will read it uh, for them. We are saddened, but we also rejoice that Fred H. Youngblood Jr., a.k.a. Bud, Buddy, Dad, and Granddad, age 91 of Greenville, South Carolina, went into the open arms of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on Monday, January 15th, 2024. Fred was preceded in death by his parents, Fred H. Buck and Willie Bill E. Youngblood Sr. of Sharon, South Carolina. He is survived by his, his wife, Doris M. Youngblood, and Doris is with us today. And his three children, Fred Buck, uh, wife Diane Youngblood III, Suzanne, her husband Scott Stofan, and John, his wife Denise Youngblood, eight grandchildren and 16 great-grandchildren. Fred graduated from Erskine College with a BA in economics in 1954. He and Doris were married in 1955 and began their life together in Alexandria, Virginia, Fort Belvoir, 71st Anti-Aircraft Artillery Battalion, Nike Hercules Missile Supply Specialist. After his time serving our country, they moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. He went to work with City Coach Line and finally to Greenville, South Carolina with Hewitt Coleman Insurance Company. As a husband, Fred cherished his helpmate, Doris Montgomery. He understood and followed 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. No matter the sorrow or the joy, he followed God's word to lead his wife and family. He was not afraid to say, now, Doris. As a father, Fred experienced a multitude of exciting adventures. He was involved in Boy Scouting, built a soapbox derby race car, made science projects the night before they were due. He sat for hours through ballet and music recitals, held his breath during piano recitals, not to mention the noisy cornet practices, the pole vaulters escapades and repaired walls where a drummer had drummed the sheetrock off the wall, practicing for high school band. He greeted scared boyfriends and girlfriends at the door. 
He prayed when new drivers began to drive, repaired a lot of old cars. He prayed when his daughter went to Peru for the summer and during the Stofan family work abroad in Asia. Fred never spared the rod with his children, but whenever he did, he prayed with them while tears poured down their cheeks. As a grandfather, Fred was known when something was broken. We were told, Granddad can fix it. They enjoyed time with M&G in their home and times at the cabin during the summer for olden days. As a man, Fred followed the word of God. Fred, Dad, emphasized Matthew 7, verses 12 to 14. By the way, those are printed on the front of your bulletins for today. Emphasized that passage from the Sermon on the Mount to his children. And we are to pass to our children and our children's children for generations to come. Fred served as a deacon, an elder, and an elder emeritus at Second Presbyterian Church in Greenville, South Carolina. In other words, Fred was a godly man who went through all of the iterations of family that many of us are familiar with. But uh, what a glorious uh, tribute it is uh, to this stalwart man. I will try to remember to tell you a few of my own aspects a little bit later. Let me call us to worship now by reading from Psalm 116. As you see from the bulletin, a lot of Fred's favorite passages came from the Psalter, and there's a reason for that. The Psalter is the songbook of Israel. It's the songbook of Christendom. And it speaks to our hearts. It brings comfort, especially in times like these. But I want to call us to worship with the 116th Psalm. I'm going to point out in particular two verses, verses 8 and 15, uh, when we get to them. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol had hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. And verse 8, for you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Read that again. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, 
praise the Lord. Let's all rise. We're going to sing three of the hymns that that, uh, Fred liked and wanted sung today. So please rise. We begin with number 23a, The Lord is My Shepherd, taken from the 23rd Psalm. Remain standing, I will open us in prayer and we will conclude with the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. Our Father, indeed, uh, you have shepherded each of your children through this life and uh, we know that of Fred and we are grateful to be here today and ask that you would be with us in this service, that you would bless this service to your glory and that your spirit would move in the hearts, especially of this family, Father, this day and for every day beyond this day, that you would give them a peace that passes understanding and the joy that comes from knowing that each of us who knows your son Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will be with Fred yet again one day in heaven. Father, we thank you for all of these things. We pray them in Jesus' name as we also pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Please remain standing and turn, if you would, to the back of your bulletin. In the history of Christendom, especially in the Protestant aspect of it, <clears throat> over the last uh, 500 years, there was a, an era, I guess it's still going on and never will stop, I pray, but an era of the writing of confessions and creeds and catechisms fairly early in that era of time. One was written called the Heidelberg Catechism, and it opens with question one, which you see on the back. It's a very helpful uh, question and answer for days like this. Let me read the question and please respond. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head, yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation, and therefore by his Holy Spirit he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. Please be seated. I'm going to read from, <clears throat> again, from the Psalter, these uh, are psalms that were very special for Fred. I begin with the 23rd Psalm, needs very little introduction, the Psalm of the Shepherd, appropriate. A Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Move from the 23rd Psalm up to the 91st Psalm. <clears throat> psalm 91 is, is uh, fascinating for a lot of reasons. Uh, Charles Spurgeon and Martin Luther both 
focused on this psalm. They really loved it because of the happiness it brought them. Now, that's significant, especially in the life of Charles Spurgeon, because he was a man who was really plagued with fits and bouts of very, very serious depression his entire life. And he often came to this psalm. If you uh, are taking very close, uh, paying close attention to it, this psalm has another unique aspect. Verses 1 and 2, you have all the pronouns are I. David is speaking, uh, whoever the writer of this psalm is, is speaking about his own experience. When you get to verses 3 to 13, it becomes you. The psalmist starts talking to you, to me, to you. When you get to 14, 15, and 16, it comes I again, but it's not the Psalter. It's, it's the psalmist. It's God himself. Transitions of interesting pronouns in this passage. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrows that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. We move to another familiar psalm, the 100th. Psalm, interestingly enough, the only psalm in the entire 150 in the Psalter that has the title, A Psalm for Giving Thanks, even though many of the psalms address this. This small little five-verse psalm has seven imperatives in it, and you'll see them easily as we read through. Psalm 100, A Psalm for Giving Thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. And we conclude with... Near the end of the Psalter, Psalm 148, the Psalter ends with five praise psalms, but that's not all they are. They are actually reflecting on themes that open the Psalter in Psalms 1 and 2. Uh, But if you see the beginning of Psalm 48, it says, praise the Lord. That's an interesting uh, 
name in Hebrew. It's hallelujah, praise Yahweh. The first time the word hallelujah enters an English Bible is here in the Psalter. Psalm 148, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights, praise him all his angels, praise him all his hosts, praise him sun and moon, praise him all you shining stars, praise him you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, indeed, as we read just uh, these four songs from the Psalter, we see a coverage. Father, we see those who, as under-shepherds, realize the need of a shepherd, of a good shepherd, and who realize they have it. When we come to your Son, Jesus Christ, in faith and repentance, Father, and give our hearts and minds and souls to him, we realize that we too have such a shepherd. And what a great comfort it is to know that you lead us beside the still, quiet waters, that you do indeed restore our souls, that our cups will overflow, overflow with the the gladness, with the love, overflow with the awareness and thoughts of the mercy and the grace and the steadfast faithfulness and love that you shed upon us through your covenant promises which you are totally faithful to carry through in our lives. Father, it is a great privilege to be your child. And Father, even as we come as sinful people and ask this day that you would indeed forgive us of our sins, We do look to you this day, Father, in special ways for your comfort, for your mercy, for your peace. I pray for this family in particular, Father, beginning with Doris and moving through Fred and Doris's three children and spouses and their children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren. Father, be with this family. They will now be without, temporarily at least, without the services and presence of one very close and special to them all. So, Father, we ask that you would fill that gap, that your Holy Spirit would move in this family's hearts and fill these hearts so that they too would know that even in days such as this, in 
the coming weeks and months, such as these will be, Father, that your cup overflows to them and makes their cups overflow as well. May they know a peace that passes understanding, Father, from this day forward and forevermore until indeed we are reunited around your throne of grace. Father, we do thank you for the life of Fred Youngblood, the service he was not only to this family, but to this church, and indeed in so many ways that we read about earlier, so many people whose lives he touched, many of whom probably none of us were never ever aware of, but you were aware of them. These people touched were aware of them. Perhaps I have very little doubt of this. Fred was used in many, many lives to lead people to a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we're grateful for all of these many benefits and mercies for the way you lead us. Even when we are not seeking it, even when we are running from you, there are times when we have ignored you, but you never ignore us. There are times when we have been ill and sick, and certainly Fred went through a lot of suffering But Father, in those times, especially you were with him, you were there. And your arms of love never ceased to enfold him as they never ceased to enfold every one of your children. So Father, we come this day again in great gratitude and ask that you would increase our faith. Father, humble us. Make us more aware of our sin and more prone to ask your forgiveness. Change us, Father. Grow us, mature us in our faith. Help us to know this word that we have read from this day, not only from the Psalter and the wonderful grace and mercy and love you show us in that book, but the 65 other books from Genesis through Revelation. Father, fill us with your word and make us doers of the word in the example that Fred has set for us. Father, we thank you for all of these things and ask them, In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. All of these things that we have read underscore an aspect of our Lord and Savior, an aspect of our triune God, that is his amazing grace. So let's stand now and sing number 433.
Please be seated. One of the texts, one of the Psalms that Fred had wanted to focus upon is Psalm 103. So if you will turn there, please, I will read this Psalm. It's a Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Father, we do uh, thank you for the great privilege of opening your word now, and I do pray that your spirit will open this passage to our hearts and minds and speak to us from it. Give us ears to hear, Father, and hearts to rejoice at what we hear. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you open a psalm, this book can be a bit um, foreboding. Some people, perhaps many people, come to the Psalter as if it's 150 separate, unique, disconnected pieces of Scripture. And for many, many decades, centuries, millennia, frankly, People have been trying to figure, is, is there a certain pattern to any of this 150 songs or poems? Some people have come up with outlandish answers to that question. But if you notice, go forward just a bit to the beginning of Psalm 107. 
You notice above that psalm, above the title of it, there are two words, book five. Well, there are five books within the Psalter. Book one begins back in the first psalm, and book five begins there with 107. Those breakdowns, those five categories, we've seen them. They've been around at least back to 250 B.C. So there was a pattern placed in this book, and while no one would be so bold as to say, I know exactly how to read this book as a unit. Nonetheless, there is a man named O. Palmer Robertson who recently wrote a book called The Flow of the Psalms that I find very, very compelling about the division of five books within this Psalter. And it's going to help us place Psalm 103 in an interesting position. Robertson says, okay, book one, which runs from Psalm 1 through Psalm 41, the first 41, he calls the theme of that whole section confrontation. And what he means by that, it's David and the people of Israel confronting the enmity that they experience in the world around them. As you you remember the story of David having to fight literally for Jerusalem and for this kingdom. Book two, according to Robertson, Psalms 42 to 72, he calls communication more of an effort to communicate with the enmity that has been engaging these people of Israel. Book three is a short book, Psalm 73 to 89. Robertson calls that devastation. It's an interesting portion of the Psalter. Turn, if you would please, to the ending of Psalm 89. I want to just look at two or three verses. Here is how the end of book three of the Psalter, which Robertson thematically calls devastation. Here's how it ends, beginning in verse 49 of Psalm 89. It says, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. It's almost as if uh, the third book of the Psalter ends with a plea saying, where are you? Have you forgotten your people? Within those 17 Psalms in book three, you will find the children of Israel devastated. You'll find the destruction of Jerusalem. You'll find them taken into exile, into Babylon. Not surprising, therefore, that there is a question. What's going to happen? As you know, they spent 70 years in Babylon. Most of the people gave up on their faithfulness and stayed in Babylon. After they were released and freed to go back, back to a destroyed Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the temple and all of those things. But there was a remnant, a faithful remnant. So the question on a macro scale, when you get through the third book of the Psalter and you get into book four, which is where we find 103, the question is what are the people going to do with the devastation they have seen? in their own lives, in the lives of their families. How are you going to respond to it? Frankly, it's a good application when we're dealing with the death of loved ones. How are we going to respond to this? 
There are one of two ways that people generally follow. One is a bad way, perhaps giving up on what little faith they thought they had, thinking that how in the world could these things happen? But there's another way, a righteous way, a faithful way, a humble way to come back in all humility as that remnant came back. And that's been the story of God's children from the Garden of Eden forward. And that takes us into book four of the Psalter where we find Psalm 103, which interestingly enough, Robertson calls maturation, growing in our faith so that when issues come into our lives, they don't throw us for a loop, but we have matured. We've gone up from reading as children and requiring milk and only milk to the ability to take all of the word of God and its meat into a mature faithfulness. That's part of what we see with the 103rd Psalm. It's in this fourth book of maturation. But there's a lot more about this Psalm. Much, much more that we could talk about. This Psalm, for whatever reason, has inspired songwriters. It's inspired faithfulness in many, many ways. John MacArthur talks about a man named Johannes Grauman. This is a man who was the personal secretary of Johannes Eck, who was basically the prosecuting attorney with Martin Luther. You remember the event in Luther's life when he has to come and he, he makes his stand, showing his mature faith that I will stand on this word and I will stand nowhere else and you can kill me if you wish, but I will never ever depart from my faith in this word and in the God this word presents to me. Well, the personal secretary of the guy who was bringing all the charges was watching and observing all of this. Johannes Grauman, he listened to Luther. The Holy Spirit took hold of his heart. And in 1525, he wrote a hymn called, My Soul Now Praise Your Maker. More than 100 years later, a man named Joaquin Neander. This guy was not a, not a person most of us would want to associate with, frankly. He and a group of friends of his attended a local church, not to listen to the pastor, but to mock the pastor. You can guess where this is going. The pastor's sermon with the power of the Holy Spirit seized this man, and that man became the assistant pastor to the pastor he mocked. And in the process in 1680, wrote the hymn, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Bless the Lord, O my soul, another hymn written based on the 103rd Psalm. Henry Light, another unbeliever. In 1816, he was doing congregational care. Only he didn't see it that way. He just knew that he had a friend, an unbelieving friend just as he was an unbeliever. But he was sitting by the bedside of this man as he died. And Henry Light went home from that experience, opened up a Bible for the first time, read it. In 1834, he wrote, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. And lastly, in MacArthur's noting of the hymn writing that's come from this, a man named Matt Redmond, not too long ago, 
His father committed suicide when he was only seven. His mother remarried to a man who was so abusive to the stepson, Matt, that the man was put in jail for it. But Matt has become a Christian missionary, and in 2011, not too long ago now, he wrote a song called 10,000 Reasons. All of these hymns were inspired by Psalm 103. There is some power in this psalm that the Holy Spirit has chosen to use in mighty ways. MacArthur's obviously moved by this psalm. In fact, John MacArthur says this, quote, Psalm 103 is the Old Testament anticipation of the book of Romans, end quote. That's an incredible statement. We will see why as we spend a little bit of time. There are a number of ways we could attack this psalm. I'm going to follow Jim Boyce's procedure that the psalm answers four questions. We're going to look very quickly at these four questions as we move through this. Now, you may notice that this is a psalm of David. It's a little bit unusual in the psalm of David because like most of his psalms, here in 103, he's not dealing with personal guilt. He's not dealing with some catastrophe in his life. It's interesting for that and a number of other reasons. Let's look at the first couple of verses here, and we're going to answer the question, how? How should a person praise God? In verses 1 and 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The answer to how a person praises God is with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and all that is within you, forgetting not all of the benefits you have received from him. David here, many commentators feel, is reflecting on the Shema, the Deuteronomy 6 prayer that still is so critical in the eyes of Orthodox Jews today. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You may have noticed just in these opening couple of verses, verses 1, 2, and 3, the word all appears four times. That word all is going to appear four more times as this psalm concludes. In other words, David from the outset is saying this is a comprehensive thing. We're going to learn how to bless the Lord. And again, in the, in the larger context, David is saying here is how I have grown in my faith. Here is how I have matured from the devastation that has come into my life. And certainly David is one who knew the devastation, not of simply of sin, but of disease and tragedy that followed his own sinfulness. But what is critical to understand here in this first question of how we should praise God is that it needs to be with our whole beings. Jesus in the gospel so many times condemned the Pharisees. Matthew 15 verse 8, Jesus says this, this people, meaning these Pharisees, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. This would be something that this psalm knows nothing about and certainly teaches nothing. There can be no apathy. There can be no gloom in the praising of God. We'll move to the second question. Why? Why should a person praise God? 
Remember the ending of that second verse. Forget not all his benefits. He has provided things. He has given many, many benefits to his children. In just verses uh, 3, 4, and 5, David will list four reasons of why a person should praise God. Number one, in verse 3, he has forgiven our iniquities, our sins. Can there be a greater gift? Every person on this planet is going to one of two destinations, either heaven, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, or hell, if you have not. Your sins will condemn you to hell if you have not received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. But God has given to his children this new heart, this heart that is full of the faith that is a gift itself from God. Forgiveness of sins. David, David, by the way, is going to amplify that. Look down at verse 12. Familiar passage for those of us who know sin. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. David needed that assurance, and he had it, and he's giving it to us as well to make certain that we understand. Here is one reason why we should be praising God. Here's his second one. Also from verse 3, he heals our diseases. Now that may seem like an odd thing to say as we celebrate and remember the passing from this earth, at least, of Fred Youngblood. But what we need to see from this verse and so many passages in Scripture is that good health is a gift. Good health comes from God. Disease, illness, struggle, pain, suffering also comes from God. Christians do suffer. Christians do die. Ultimately because of our sinfulness. There's a wonderful book that Tim Keller wrote It's called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And what, among many things, one of the things he does in that is he reflects on Genesis 3.15. Now, that's a very famous verse out of the Bible. It reads like this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We always focus on the second half of that verse. Understandably, it's, it's the first, it's the proto-euangelion. It's the first statement that hints that there is a Savior coming who is going to deal with Satan. We know that Savior to be Jesus Christ. We know that bruising to be a cross and a death, ignominious death in Jerusalem many, many years after Genesis is written. But Keller goes to the front half of that verse also and the serious nature of life on this earth. The front half of Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. That means you and me. There is an enmity that is placed upon every human being simply by drawing breath on this planet. Now, if you go to Webster, Webster defines enmity as positive, active, and typically mutual hatred or ill will. Some of the synonyms, if you go to Roger, you'll see synonyms for enmity of hostility, antipathy, antagonism, animosity, rancor, animus. David is writing these words. David knew about these things. David committed adultery. David was complicit in committing murder. 
And the child that was born from that illicit union with Bathsheba died. It was taken from them by God. And this enmity, this, this uh, thing, this struggle that we have so many times today, we live in, in a culture and a time in human history when medical science does many wonderful things. It uh, can heal often, but eventually it won't. It cannot remove the suffering. And the suffering is there for a reason. Keller goes from this and has a wonderful sentence about all of this that I want to read to you. He says, Christianity teaches that as opposed to fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. As opposed to Buddhism, suffering is real. As opposed to karma, suffering is often unfair. As opposed to secularism, suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. If you read the books uh, by people like Johnny Erickson Tata, who have known great suffering for their entire lives, you know uh, what he's talking about. You see it fleshed out in some of those writings. And I'm sure when he's describing suffering and says it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God. I'm certain that he was alluding to the Son of God on the cross as nails were driven through him into the love of his Father. Here's a third reason that David gives for why we should praise God. Redemption from the pit in verse 4. Death for the Christian only takes us to heaven opening of John 14, where Jesus is talking about the many rooms that are prepared for all of the children of God. And he says, when I'm ready for you to occupy one, I'm going to come and take you there. When Fred Youngblood died, he didn't go through some sort of mysterious intermediate state of any kind. Jesus Christ himself came down and ushered the soul of Fred Youngblood into his presence at that moment in time. It's also in verse 4 that we encounter for the first time a very special word to the Psalter. It's the word hesed. If you see in verse 4 the second line of it, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Those two words, steadfast love, occur four times in this psalm. It's a word that's, that English, the English language frankly cannot encompass it without a chapter or two but it focuses on God's covenantal faithfulness, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness, his charity, his grace. All of these things come under this one Hebrew word. We will see it again as we move through this psalm. It focuses on Yahweh, the Lord of the covenant. That's why the word Lord in Psalm 143 is in all capital letters. That means it's Yahweh. It's not Elohim. It's not El, it's not any of those other words for God. It's Yahweh, the, the God who makes a covenant with his people that is absolutely inviolable. That is what David is emphasizing as to why we should praise God, among other things. Verse 5, the satisfaction with good things, he says. The third of our four questions, what is it? What is it that God is like that we would 
bless him and serve him and worship him and praise his name. This takes the majority of the psalm. It's verses 6 through 18. David lists at least 10 assertions about God. Number one, God works righteousness and justice for the oppressed, verse 6. Number two, God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That is Hesed again, verse 8. Number three, God does not always chide, that is accuse or find fault with, nor does his anger remain forever, verse 9. The fourth reason, God does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us for our iniquities, verse 10. Number five, God's steadfast love, Hesed again, his covenantal faithfulness toward those who fear him is limitless. It prevails, it covers, it dominates, verse 11. Aspect of God, number six, his forgiveness is equally limitless for those who fear him, verses 11 and 12. Seventh ascription to God, he shows compassion for his children as a father in verse 13. We've read from Fred about what? fatherly compassion. This is God the Father and the compassion that David knows and wants us to know. Number eight, God knows us physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. That's in verses 14 through 16. Number nine, God's steadfast love, his hesed again, is from everlasting to everlasting, his righteousness to children's children. The blessing that Fred Youngblood, we read about his passing along to his children and the desire that they pass along to their children from Matthew chapter 7. These things ripple and God sees that, honors that, and extends righteousness to the children of children. And finally, number 10, God's grace and mercy extends only to those who keep his covenant and his commandments, verse 18. And there you see again, you, you think, well, wait a minute. Doesn't that throw us back into a legalistic uh, check-the-box sort of life? If I've sinned, then I've dis, I'm disqualified. That's the whole point of one of MacArthur's meanings when he says this book anticipates Romans. What does Romans tell us? Romans tells us that justification came through Jesus Christ. When he goes to a cross and dies, he takes the sins of his children among himself. He nails them to the tree. So your sins, my sins, if we believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, have been done away with and put as far apart as the east is from the west. These are among the reasons that Psalm 103 says why we should praise God. Finally, the last question, who should praise God? Well, that's a question that doesn't really need to be asked after we have seen to this stage in Psalm 103, verses 19 through 22 conclude, who should praise God? Everybody, the entire creation should be praising God. As with David in verses 1 and 22 of this psalm, it demands self-assessment. While all of the glorious teachings of this psalm certainly are leading us to worship. The question again is, how about me today? What am I doing when I come to worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do I worship him faithfully? Do I worship him sincerely? 
Do I worship him aware of all of these things? Do I worship him with a faith that will get me before him always, regardless of what suffering he may or may not bring into my life? Bless the Lord, O my soul, is the title given to this psalm. Do we know those blessings? Do we praise him for it? Do we worship him in spirit and in truth with all of our being? This is what it means. And if there's anyone here today who perhaps is thinking about a sin, maybe a sin that has been recurring for decades in your life, a sin that you can't get rid of, a sin that some people, including Satan, will come to you and say, you can't be a Christian. Look at that. Look at what you just did it again. Or maybe it's something that you continue to fail to do that you know you should be doing. David in this psalm all of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus this day would hold out his arms to you and say, come to me and I will put your sins as far as the east is from the west. Believe in me, repent of your sin and believe in me with all of your heart, mind and soul and I will give you rest. Rest from guilt, rest from suffering, rest in the middle of the suffering. I mentioned... One event I had with, with Fred very, very uh, late <clears throat> in Fred's life. He was over here at uh, Prisma and Greer in the hospital, and he was suffering quite a bit. And I was sitting there by his, his bedside, and I, I said, Fred, uh, do you need anything? Now, what I meant by that is if you need something, if you'd like some water, if you'd like, uh, I will go get it for you. But Fred, at that point, he was, he was moaning a little bit. He was in a lot of pain. He was, he was distracted, obviously. He was in on himself. But, uh, but my question, he looked at me. He, he didn't speak a word. He just looked at me, and it was so obvious. And once I saw his expression, I realized I should have asked a different question. Here is a man who is suffering, and, he, and I'm saying, do you need anything? He's thinking, you single-digit IQ individual, can you not see? Yes, I need quite a few things. Thank you very much. And then it, I started laughing, and then Fred started smiling, and we had this, uh, this brief little window, this vignette into uh, sinful, well-intended people trying to do uh, something to help another sinful, well-intended person. But this psalm should speak to all of us in many, many ways. We have a God who puts up with us, just as Fred put up with me. And this God is faithful from everlasting to everlasting. Come to him in faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, uh, this psalm has so much in it. But we thank you that You've given us your word. You've given us this book in so many ways. It blesses us. It teaches us. It encourages us. It chastises us. It makes us humble, makes us think about who we are and what we need to be doing better. But in particular, it leads us to Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord. I pray, Father, that we will repent of our sin again, that we will grow in our faithfulness and grow in our love for this amazing grace 
that we know so well. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there can be little left to do now but sing praise to this great God. So if you would please rise, we will sing hymn number 148B.
May the steadfast love of the Father and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the grace and the love and the mercy and the redemption found in Jesus Christ be with each of you both now and forever. Amen. Thank you.